G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Coming at you on a Tuesday, Arvo. The FIBA Basketball World Cup is on in the background. I'm currently watching Germany and Finland waiting for the Aussies and Japan to clash tonight. But enjoying the basketball. And we have reached the end of another fantasy footy season. So the long-time listeners of the Sports by Fry pod will know that I've done these Fry's Fast Five episodes in the past. And it's designed to give you a bit of a lap around the globe on the important sporting topics. Mainly focusing, obviously, on the important things happening in Australia. So there's a couple of footy things, a bit of basketball. And then in the coming weeks, I will be dropping a little bit more NBA and NFL action as well. So this is designed to be quick, so I'm going to keep it brief. Let's get into it. At the leadoff, I have to go with the fantasy season. It's done and dusted. I finished at about the 16,000 mark, so definitely didn't have the season that I wanted. Fell to 30K at one point, so I was able to claw my way back in the call it two last two thirds of the season, but not the year that the large fries and Coke wanted, but I need to give a quick shout out to all the legends in the sports by Fry league. The most participants we've had 550 odd off the top of my head. So kudos to all the crew out there that jumped in. Congratulations to all the players who won their grand final, took home some uh, cash league prizes, and of course claimed an all important fantasy hat. We actually had three people in the sports by Fry league who won a top 100 hat. So we had Hot Pies by James. He finished 73rd. Samuel with the Goon Pigs, love that name, finished 53rd. And big shout out to Jono, who I actually may have jinxed. I put a tweet up, uh, I think it was just after the Carlton GWS game. And love it, first Lance, Jono Swanson, Swaston from memory, was uh, sitting nice inside the top 10. I gave him his kudos. And then after a late adjustment, he actually got leapfrogged, but still finished 11th. So shout out to Jono for winning the Sports by Fry League. There will be prizes in the near future for the SBF League, but make yourself known, Jono, get in touch, and I'll make sure that you are heavily compensated. But as I said, grand final week in the fantasy football world can bring a lot of twists and changes. I think most things kind of held to form, though. The players that we expected to go good went good. The players who we thought were around the mark of being murky and going to toss up some questionable performances, they did just that. But there were a couple of anomalies, one being Callum Mills. Now, he had a fucking huge 155, easily his biggest score of the year, fourth best score of the round. And it's no surprise that he scored well because the bloke was back in the mids. He helped himself to 30-plus, had eight marks, 12 tackles, was a machine out there on the weekend. I've been big all year saying that you can't touch Callum Mills, but on the back of this performance, I think he can be considered in 2024. I'm not going to tease too much about the 2024 picks. I want to give Tex Walker a shout out as well for making the Coleman medal race interesting. A round high 164. The most traded in bloke prior to the weekend. So kudos to Tex for giving all the coaches that took the punt on him uh, just rewards. I am going to be doing the fantasy team of the year as well. I did it last year go through all the numbers and kind of pick and rank the players who I think deserve to be in the team of the year. So stay tuned for that. Probably drop that Friday Arvo or over the weekend. So you have some fantasy stuff to consume as we start to wean ourselves off all the AFL fantasy bits and pieces. Uh, The dream team talk rookies awards will be dropping tomorrow morning as well. So by the time you're listening to this, you can go to the DT talk site and check out all the deserving winners. Uh, Spoiler alert, Harry Sheasel took out most of the trophies, but like I said, I'm glad that the fantasy season is done and dusted, but shout out to all the crew out there who supported the Sportsby pod and all my ventures throughout the fantasy season. The support does not go unnoticed and 
The planning for 2024 starts now. So the second thing I want to talk about is a couple of the 2024 players that you need to add to your list. I think Tuke Miller, Cal Mills, and Jai Simpkin jump off the page as real value picks in the midfield. And I think that if you can go value in the mids, obviously it allows you a couple of extra bucks to spend elsewhere. Brody Grundy will probably be everyone's R2 if he's picked. I think I'm going to be uh, slotting Tim English in after his fantastic season, but... The real question mark relies on the forwards. And obviously we'll be months away from finding out the positions for fantasy players, but it's going to be pretty lean. I think six of the top seven, if not all seven of the top uh, forward scorers are probably going to lose that status. So hopefully a bloke like Sam Flanders can maintain his forward status. A Jack McRae even might be a popular pick if he's still around the mark. The one guy that I want to mention before I transition to some other stuff though is Errol Goulden. Now, there weren't many players that impressed more than Golden in my eyes this season. He had his traditional third-year breakout and put up some fucking epic stats along the way. I know that he had a big stretch where he had back-to-back 150s. He had a couple of extra 140s. There was a few weeks where he scored, it felt like, 126 or 128 in a row and then obviously ended the year with a big bang by scoring 142 against the Ds. And I think regardless of if he has forward status or not, Errol Goulden will be one of my first picked players next year. I can't see him getting any worse. He did average 113 on the year. So maybe he does dip to around that 108 mark. But if you look at someone like Rory Laird, for example, I started with him. He lost 100K on his starting price and it probably was the right idea to fade him. But he still ended up averaging 109 for the year and came home like a steam train. So if you do pay up for some of these midfielders, obviously you kind of have to stick with it. I think that's what I forced myself to do with Laird and Andy Brayshaw for that matter before uh, Laird, got injured. So I think we can start to turn a little bit of attention towards 2024, not too much, but there's just a couple of players that I wanted to mention as we start to uh, get the black book out and make sure that we have uh, all our planning in line as we gear up for the off season. Third tidbit, let's dive into a little bit of the end of season bits and pieces. Uh, the most important thing that I want to talk about is Sydney and Adelaide. So obviously, as we all know, the Swans made it. They stormed home in the back half of the season to snag eighth place. I didn't really think that was going to happen. I thought that they would miss out after their spluttering start, but kudos to the Swans. However, if that goal from Ben Keys would have counted and the Adelaide Crows went on to win that game, then they would be sitting eighth right now, which one of my bold predictions of the season was that the Crows were going to uh, make the top eight. Another one was that Dunkley would win the Brownlow and Jeremy Cameron would be second and Ken Hinckley would be fired mid-season. So don't uh, take all of them as gospel, but I do believe in what the Crows are building. It was a bit disappointing to see them miss out. The Doggies are big losers as well after their loss to the Coasters. And then I feel like they lost to Hawthorne not too long ago as well. So they let a couple of games slip, which really cost them. I wonder if that'll cost Luke Beveridge his job. The GWS Giants, they were my tip for the spoon. So that didn't exactly go well. But as I have a look at the ladder, one thing jumped out for me and shout out to Bales. He actually pointed this out to me on Sunday evening that Adelaide scored the most total points in the season. So the home and away season, no team scored more points. And the last time that a team led the league in points scored and didn't make the finals was 1968 with Hawthorne. Shout out to Sir Swamp Thing for that stat, but a big, big egg on your face moment for the Crows. They had their chances. <laughs> you know, these things happen. You can't look too much at one quarter or one goal decision that ruined their season, but 
I know the Crows will be spewing. I want to talk about the Dockers very briefly because I did a bit of number crunching and I realized that Brayshaw and Sarong had the most disposals out of anyone this season. So it can't be often that two blokes in the same team finished one and two in total touches. But their clearance game was really shit. Andrew Brayshaw was 32nd for clearances in the league. Caleb Sarong a bit better at fourth. You uh, can't be too unhappy with him. But Frio ranked eighth for clearances this year and 14th for center clearances, which you think that Andrew Brasher and Caleb Sarong are prototypical guys you want to build your team around. They didn't exactly fire. And I think a big reason for that was uh, Josh Carr leaving and going back to Port Adelaide, which probably hasn't been talked about a lot. So while the attention will be on the player movement and the people that swing around and chop and change and potentially the head coaches who uh, are going to get promoted as well. Have a look at the assistance and the coaching group that they do build. And Dimmer Hardwick and the Gold Coast Suns are ones that I'm very interested to see how that makeup for their squad looks in the coaching box. But it is a bit disappointing as a Dockers fan to see that our midfield, an area that I thought was uh, one of our strengths, really proved to be a weakness this year. But, uh, you know, you can't win them all. Item number four, let's talk about the All-Australian squad. There's obviously going to be omissions every year, but I want to highlight one in particular. Now, Sam Taylor didn't play the no- enough games to qualify for the squad, which, if you ask me, is pretty lousy. Like, if he was good enough in his 15 games to make the All-Australian squad, the fact that he played 15 instead of 16 shouldn't penalise the bloke in my eyes. And as I look across the squad, everyone loves to quickly point out the people who missed out, but... Who are the people you would take out is my question. Now, Luke Jackson ended up making the All-Australian squad. Uh, I think it's fair to say he will not make the All-Australian team. But I don't think you can really take him out and put Tim Taranto in. With a squad, I guess you could be a little bit more leisurely around it and you don't have to have like for likes. But you want to try and get a big, broad group of players that encapsulate all the positions in the AFL. So key defenders, obviously, in the mix, like your Cal Wilkies, Tom Stewart's another one who doesn't really qualify, I guess, as a key defender, but someone that should be in this squad and probably make the team. Harris Andrews, likewise. So if I want to put Tim Taranto in, because I think he was the biggest omission, you got to take someone out. And for me, it's Jai Newcomb. He had a fantastic season for the Hawks. It looks like he's going to be one of the best inside midfielders in the comp over the next eight to 10 years. But his time is coming. I think Taranto still deserves credit for putting essentially Richmond's midfield on his shoulders this year. And if you think in that vein, then Tim Kelly's another one who you could probably give a berth. Now, I know that there are some big-name players that you can't really exclude, like Zach Merritt didn't have a, the best year by his standards. Paddy Cripps, very similar. But I think that if you take out a Cripps and potentially someone like Newcomb, then you can put in Taranto and Tim Kelly and reward them for carrying their midfields for the entire season. All right, fifth quick item. As I teased at the top, the basketball uh, is well and truly back on. We've got about 50 days until the NBA is back. But more importantly, the FIBA World Cup is currently being competed for. Uh, I think that the Aussies are all right. I think that they're going to be in the mix. But I still think the USA, shocker, are the team to beat. I watched them play against a Giannisless Greece last night, and they look to be in cruise control. Every one of their 12 players scored at least two baskets. Granted, it was a blowout win. So guys like Walker Kessler, et cetera, Josh Hart, they were able to play extended minutes. But I do think that USA bats deeper than everyone, has probably better players at the top of the pecking order than everyone. So I will be intrigued to see who can take it up to the US. I know that, like I said, the Aussies play Japan tonight, essentially to advance out of their group stage. But are we going to see a team like Germany who are currently 21 points up on Finland? 
are we going to see a team like that really jump up and challenge the United States? Spain, obviously, they're another one who could be in the mix. Hopefully, Luca can steer Slovenia to some uh, big-time dubs as well. And I love watching all the nations competing in a essentially a World Cup. It does obviously encapsulate every talent around the globe, but it really hammers home the point that as a nation, Australia is one of the best basketballing squads going around. But there are teams that are closing the gap on the States. I know that they're still the favourites and they probably deserve to be. But if you look around the other countries, Canada as well is another one I haven't mentioned. All these teams, I feel like they can beat any other country on their given day. So it's great to see that the gap has closed between the United States and the field in the last couple of years. And I think on the back of this FIBA World Cup performance, it'll be very interesting to see how teams retool and get their squads aligned to make sure that they have the best chance of winning Olympic gold in a couple of years time. Hopefully the Aussies can take care of business against Japan tonight, and then they get out of the group stage and uh, advance towards a potential medal. And that is that a quick fire sports be pod. Like I said, these fast fives will probably continue. I've got some NFL fantasy bits and pieces that I've been working on. So I'm going to dive through that on the next episode and the AFLW starts this weekend. I'll be doing quite a bit of stuff with the game day squad boys. You can head to their website and check out some of my articles. I did one on some pods, okay. Players of difference, people you might not be considering for your fantasy side. And I think after the teams drop on Thursday, I'll probably go through my initial team just so that people out there who aren't involved in AFL fantasy can have a little bit more depth and uh, information about the fantasy bits and pieces. Uh, If you are a passionate AFL fantasy coach, Get yourself around the NFL and the AFLW fantasy and probably NBA as well because the more fantasy teams and sports you can compete in, I think it's a really good way to learn the sport and to find a team and a player potentially that you enjoy watching that you can then support. I think jumping into the fantasy a bit blind, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's definitely an enjoyable experience. But as always, thank you for tuning into this episode. Muchly appreciated. I'll be back later in the week with another quick fill out fast five. So until then... Peace.